Good morning, Church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, which is, which is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path in life. Impart its truth to us in our hearts and grant us wisdom and discernment to understand it. Thank you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. I'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-14 to 14, from the NIV. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, church. The Lord be with you. And to those who are joining us online, welcome, and the Lord be with you too. Now, today we live in an anxious time. Just when we thought that the pandemic is coming to an end, there emerges a new Delta Cron variant that may bring us back those restrictions that curb our lifestyle. And we don't want to go back that way. Again, uh, there's a lot of echo here. Then there is the war in Ukraine that has caused food and fuel prices to rise steeply. And for Melbournians who need their morning coffee, we may have to pay $7 a cup. And all this is going to make some of us very nervous. We love our coffee. And for Christians, there is the reality that Christians and Christian organizations are losing many of their privileges they once enjoyed. As pastor and author Steve McAlpine says, once we were the good guys, but now we have become the bad guys. And the bad guys' image will set us up for opposition, for humiliation and even persecution. And so suffering for our faith is a step closer to reality. And this may cause um, us to be anxious about our future and the future of our children. So how then should we Christians prepare for the difficult time ahead? And this is where we can look to Peter as he wraps up his first letter. And if you have your Bible with you, please turn to chapter 5. Uh, we'll look at <clears throat> the last part of the uh, letter from verse 6 to 14. 
Now, in ending his letter, Peter has three exhortations to give to his readers uh, who are also living in anxious time as they learn of news of increasing persecution of Christians throughout the Roman Empire. And you may uh, sort of uh, note that throughout the letter, Peter has been telling his readers that trials and uh, sufferings are part of Christian life. And, Christ and suffering may come to us as part of God's will for us. And the purpose of trials and sufferings are God's way of purifying our faith. And so, as he ends um, the letter, Peter wants to encourage once more with three exhortations as they go through uh, this uh, time where persecution may intensify. And so we do well uh, to pay attention to the three exhortations because hardships and persecutions may soon befall us. So the three exhortations are, first, we are to humble ourselves under God's sovereign power. Second, we are to be alert and uh, be alert against our enemy and resist him. And thirdly, we are to trust in God to vindicate us. So let us consider these three exhortations in detail. First, uh, when hard time falls on us, or when we are anxious about the uncertain future, we are to humbly submit ourselves under God's sovereign power. So in verse 6, uh, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And why must we humble ourselves? Well, it is because of what Peter said earlier in verse 5, where he quoted from the book of Proverbs that God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. So we need God's help when we face a difficult situation or when we face an uncertain future. And we will receive God's help only if we come to Him in humility. And God is able to help us to lift us up out of our trouble because of His mighty hand. You see, God's mighty hand is, of course, a metaphor for God's sovereign power. The Bible uses this metaphor to describe God acting in His sovereign power to do great things for His people. So, for example, Moses reminded the Israelites just before they entered the promised land how God delivered them out of a very difficult situation in Egypt. So Moses used these words in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. It, Moses told the people, says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And so likewise, when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, God in his sovereign power will deliver us out of our difficult situation. It may not be immediate, but it will always be according to his timing, in his own time. So, 
let's put this, uh, so, so let's say how this works. Uh, let's see how this works. So suppose you are experiencing hostility from some neighbors, okay? Or maybe some friends have betrayed you. Or maybe the authority uh, is beginning to persecute, your, uh, persecute you for practicing your faith. Now in all these situations, uh, and these are bad situations, uh, we will feel a sense of injustice done to us. And so our natural reaction to injustice done to us is to fight back. And we want to exert our rights. And maybe or we, we want to repay evil for evil. But Peter here is saying to us, no, don't react in that way. Because that way is the way of the proud person who wants to take things into his own hand. So we shouldn't react in that way. Instead, we are to leave it to God to deal with our opponents. And God in his sovereign power will bring about justice in the end. And he will lift you up. He will vindicate you. And so, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. So this is what Peter wants us to do. And in humbling and submitting ourselves, humbly submitting ourselves, um, we recognize two things. One, we recognize that we are to accept the difficult situation that we are in. And we are not to moan and groan and complain. And two, we are to commit the situation to God, knowing that God in his sovereign power will handle the situation better than we can. And we know that God in his goodness will work out the final outcome for our good and for our vindication. And when we know that God will work out the final outcome for our good, we do not have to worry. And that is why Peter tells us in verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And this is a very sound advice from Peter. And when we take his advice, we will free ourselves from unnecessary worries in life. So brothers and sisters, if you are anxious about your present situation, and if you are stressed over your future, don't rely on your own understanding. Rely on God. Commit your ways to God's mighty hand. So humbly submit yourselves under, God, uh, under the mighty hand of God. And you do that by casting all your anxiety on God. And you can do that because He cares for you. And He does not want you to be stressed out unnecessarily. So trust God and give your worries to him. And in due time, in God's own timing, he will exalt you. He will vindicate you. And we will say more about God's vindication uh, later. We come to the second exhortation that Peter gives us in our anxious time, and that is to be alert against our enemy. To be alert and resist our real enemy. 
Now, this is because when we are worried about our life situation, we become vulnerable and our faith is more susceptible to the enemy's attack. And so we must remain sober and not fall under the enemy's attack. Now, Peter says that our real enemy is not the people who are hostile to us. Uh, it is not the government either that prosecutes us for our faith. Peter says, no, the, our true enemy is the devil. And that is what Peter says in verse 8. He says, be alert and of <clears throat> sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, Satan is represented here <clears throat> as a roaring lion, hungry for his prey. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, Satan is represented in a variety of ways. And the commonest is the serpent, where in Genesis chapter 3, uh, he is represented as the most crafty of all wild animals God had made. Uh, in the book of Revelation, Satan is represented as a dragon, intent on swallowing up the church as soon as it was birthed. And he is also described as an accuser, like a prosecuting lawyer in the heavenly court, accusing Christians for wrongdoing before the throne of God. And then in um, Paul's letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, um, Satan is described as a master of disguise, uh, he, for he will masquerade as an angel of light. Now, all these representations of Satan are to tell us about his diabolical character. Now, as the serpent, Satan is a deceiver and a liar. In fact, Jesus referred to him uh, as the father of lies. And as the father of lies, that was how he tricked Adam and Eve, into believing that they could be like God if they were to eat the forbidden fruit. And so today, Satan will deceive and lie to us about things that are not true so that we will sin against God. So we must guard against him. Um, as the dragon, Satan is a destroyer. Uh, he will try to destroy the church um, through a lot of conflicts or whatever, scandals, uh, so he will try to destroy the church, but of course, he will not succeed. Now, as a false angel of light, uh, Satan will mask evil as good. Now, he will persuade us that whatever makes us happy, whatever makes us feel good, cannot be wrong. So if pornography can help improve sex within a marriage, then it must be good. Or if same-sex marriage makes a person self-fulfilled, then it cannot be sinful. So, you see, as a false angel of light, Satan will make wrong seems right. So we've got to be very careful about him. So what about uh, as an accuser? <clears throat> How does he operate? So as an accuser or as the accuser, uh, Satan is spiteful and vindictive. And with his constant accusation, 
he wants to undermine Christians' confidence in God. And so he will try uh, to rob us of our confidence in God. He will try to rob Christians of their assurance of salvation. Now, in all his roles, whether as a liar or accuser or a false angel of light, um, Satan has one objective, and that is to destroy us. He wants to destroy those who belong to Christ and even try to kill us if he could. And perhaps that is why Peter portrays him as a roaring lion, hungry to devour God's people. And so make no mistake, Satan is real. You see, there are some Christians who think that Satan is just a metaphor for evil, but that is wrong. Satan is a real angelic person, but he is evil. And he is our adversary. And that is what his name means. You see, Satan in Hebrew means adversary. But he is a defeated adversary. On the cross, Jesus defeated him and his work. And as a defeated enemy, he is more desperate and he is more dangerous. That is why we must all the more be alert and be of sober mind. We need to be aware of Satan's different roles in his objective to destroy us. So by being alert and being so of sober mind, we make sure that we do not deliberately cross his path. But if we do happen to cross his path, well, we will know what to do. We, will, we are to resist the devil. And James in his letter tells us that when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. So the question is, how do we resist him? So Peter tells us in verse 9, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, from this verse uh, and the verse before, um, Peter provides us a combination of three strategies to resist the devil. And the first, dev uh, the first strategy, as Peter said in verse 8, uh, is to remain alert and be of sober mind. To be alert and be of sober mind. <clears throat> now, just ask yourself, what soldiers would go into a battle sleepy and drunk and expect to drink, uh, expect to win? Well, they, those soldiers won't win. Uh, they will be the first casualties. Right? So likewise, in our spiritual battle, and to win that spiritual battle against our enemy, we need to be alert and be of sober mind. But sadly, many Christian leaders have fallen into disrepute because they failed to remain vigilant. And under the influence of alcohol or prescribed drugs, uh, they succumbed 
to temptations and they succumb to moral failure. And this can happen to all Christians, whether they are leaders or not. So let us watch out for one another. Let us ensure that we will always be alert and not be drunk in our spiritual battle. Now the second strategy to resist the devil is to stand firm in the faith. And to stand firm in the faith is to be solidly grounded in sound doctrines of Scripture. To stand firm in the faith is to rightly understand the sound doctrines of Scriptures, uh, such that we will not be persuaded by false teachers promoting their false gospel. And we will not, be comp we will not compromise our integrity and we will not sin against God. So, for example, there are same-sex attracted Christians who stand firm in the faith. They chose to remain celibate rather than embrace same-sex marriage that is being promoted by false teachers. And so, standing firm in the faith is very important that we do not want to compromise with the values of the world. We do not want to go along with the world and, and uh, we want to uh, stand firm and be faithful to the Lord Jesus. Now, standing firm in the faith also means uh, knowing Scripture as the Word of God and we want to know the Word of God well. After all, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit it is the weapon we use to counter uh, the attack from the devil. And our Lord Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil to prove himself as a son of God, he used the word of God to disarm the devil's attack. So in the same way, when Satan accuses us or when he tempts us, we need to wield the sword of the spirit to resist him. So, for example, when Satan tempts us, we need to counter him with God's word that says, um, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So, when you can remember this promise from God, you will draw on the power of the Holy Spirit and you don't have to give in to temptation because God will give you the power to overcome. So that's how we resist the devil from, with, with, with Scripture. Or take another example. When Satan accuses us and, and Satan loves to accuse uh, Christians, uh, he will say that, no, surely you cannot be a true Christian because you are still struggling with a particular sin. So, what can we Christians do in such a situation? Again, we can turn to scripture that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So you see, Scripture assures us that even though we are still struggling with sin, we have been made righteous on account of Christ's uh, righteousness. 
On the cross, Christ completely took the punishment of our sins and he gave us his righteousness. So our guilt is removed. God has justified us and Satan's accusation is invalid. So this is how we resist Satan, with God's promises in his word. And the more we are familiar with God's word, the more we will learn to trust in his promises, and the better we will be in resisting the devil. So I, I want to encourage everyone to be in the habit of daily reading the Bible. And also, I want to encourage uh, everyone to memorize scripture. It will pay rich spiritual dividends. Now, the third strategy to resist the devil is to know that we are not alone in our suffering. And this is important because uh, when we wrongly think that we are the only Christians uh, suffering for our faith, uh, Satan will come along and tempt us to compromise our faith and give it up altogether. Uh, you see, I mean, if we are the only ones suffering, um, yeah, we will say, oh, um, why, why not I join the rest, you know? Um, so so the Satan will tempt us to compromise our faith. But Peter says that, no, um, you, you look around the world, you find that... Um, you, you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And that is in the end of verse 9. So the truth is that all Christians, wherever, wherever they may be in the world, will face trials and persecutions of some kind. You see, suffering is part of the Christian faith. And in our suffering, uh, we stand in solidarity with all other Christians as we share in the sufferings of Christ. And as Peter has been saying throughout the letter, when we share in Christ's suffering, we will share in his glory. And the prospect of sharing in Christ's glory will motivate us to resist the devil. And it is also the motivation to persevere in the faith. And this leads us to Peter's uh, third exhortation. When times are hard, we are to persevere, and uh, we are to persevere, and we are to put our trust in God, for He will eventually vindicate us. And we can put our trust in God because God is not only sovereign, but He is also the God of all grace. And that means God is truly good and truly merciful. And he will do only good to us. And in Christ Jesus, God has done everything good for us. So look at verse 10. Peter tells us that the God of all grace, who called, us, called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. 
Now, there are three things, three good things God in His grace has done for us. Now, I have been using the formula of three things, right? We have three exhortations from Peter uh, to persevere um, in anxious time. We have three strategies uh, to fight against or to resist the devil. And now, uh, we have three manifestations of God's grace. So, there are three good things that God in His grace has done for us. One, He saved us when He called us uh, to His eternal glory in Christ. You see, God's eternal glory in Christ uh, refers to the heavenly inheritance which we will enjoy as a result of Jesus' work on the cross. Two, in His grace, God will sustain us as we go through the short and momentary time of affliction when we live out the gospel. And three, God in His grace will transform us after we have endured the suffering. And He will restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast in our faith. And so what this means is that God will finally make us uh, God will finally make us Christ-like. So our salvation is from the start to the finish, the work of God's grace. And as the Apostle Paul says, God will bring to completion the good work he began in us. So the completed work is our transformation into the image of God's Son. And this transformation is our vindication. And this transformation is the glory we will share with Christ. So therefore, it is right and wise to put our trust in God. Because God um, will bring to pass His promises to us. We are to put our trust in God, not only in good times, but also in bad times. For no matter what situation we are in, God, in His sovereign power, will fulfill His purpose in us. And so Peter ends his exhortations with a doxology in verse 11, praising God and ascribing all power to God. For in His power, God will bring to pass all the promises He has made to us in Christ Jesus. And so we come to the last part in verses 12 to 13. Peter records his farewell greetings to his readers. And in the greetings, he introduces the people closest to him at the time of writing. First, there is Silas, a faithful brother in Christ to Peter. He's probably the one writing the letter as Peter dictates to him. And it is probably Silas who, will deliver the, who, who delivered the letter to his readers, uh, scattered in regions uh, that are today part of modern Turkey. Uh, next, he introduces uh, she who is in Babylon. 
Okay, she who is in Babylon, uh, this lady is not Peter's wife, as some commentators suggest. Uh, rather, it refers to the church in Rome, because Babylon is the code name for the city of Rome. And so it was in Rome that Peter wrote this letter, and it is only appropriate to add the greetings from the church members uh, in Rome. And finally, Peter introduces Mark as his son, uh, his spiritual son. Uh, Mark is John Mark, who went with Paul in his first missionary trip, but dropped out halfway. However, he now makes good by his close association with Peter. Uh, it is from Peter that Mark gets most of his materials to write the gospel that goes by his name. And so Peter ends the letter in verse 14 with a salutation of peace to his readers. Now, peace is what Christians need when faced with, prospect, with the prospect of increasing opposition from the world. And we need this peace today. And this peace is not a political peace. It is not the peace that the world can give. Rather, it is the peace that God gives on account of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. It is the peace that comes to us when we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. It is the peace that calms our hearts when we are anxious about our future. And it is the peace that will not be afraid of death, but rather will welcome death. For then we will see Jesus face to face and we will be vindicated and we will share in his glory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, please give us the, your peace that will guard our hearts from anxious thoughts and from worries about our present situation. We thank you for this comforting letter of Peter and the promise that you will always care for us. Please give us every grace to sustain us when we go through times of difficulties. May we never forget the inheritance kept for us in heaven and grant us the power of your Holy Spirit to persevere in our faith as we await the return of our Lord Jesus.